0: well good morning everyone if our church gathering was a canoe I'd say we're gonna tip to this side we're we're a little scantily filled on this side so I'm expecting those of you who are on this side to out amen the other side all right see you're losing already and I'm winning either way Uh, no uh, it's good to have you this morning Um, we are going to continue our series on what we're calling New Wine Worship. Um, And it's based in this text of Scripture of Matthew chapter 9. uh, Jesus answering this question to religious folk who are trying to understand why following Jesus feels more like a party than it does an intense religious experience. That the context of this text of Scripture comes right after. Because I take so long to teach a text, you can forget what happened just before it. But the the section of Scripture right before this in chapter 9 is Jesus calling Matthew, and Matthew throwing the big house party. Remember that? So then people are seeing that, seeing the kind of celebratory nature of what it means to follow Jesus, and they're trying to understand how does this fit with the religious requirements for us. Now, I think when we talk about this subject of new wine, there are ministries and kind of movements in just about every stream of Christianity Anglicans, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Evangelical that talk about this pursuit of new wine in the church. I think primarily. The vision behind it is a desire for a fresh move of God in the midst of the people, right? I think that's at the core of this idea. This text of Scripture that Jesus is talking about kind of has this idea. There's a new thing that's come and is happening, and we want in on the new thing, right? And it's this move of God meaning that it's sovereign, like God is doing the action. He's the one that is moving in the midst of the people, that he's doing things that nobody else can do. He's stirring up within the hearts of people real, genuine passion and fervor for him. And usually it's this idea that we actually want, I know it sounds weird at at first, but we want conviction. We actually want God to come and create change. We want to feel in those things that we carry into church of going, I know this is going on in my life and I don't want it to go on anymore. But we also kind of lack the energy and the will to create change. You know that feeling? I think there's this desire in this new wine move that God would bring about the conviction and the will and the desire and the ability for change, for growth. To be unstuck from the things that we feel stuck in. New wine is about felt salvation. Right? Moving from this, I know I hear about salvation. I know I say I believe that I'm saved, but it's this sense of like nearness and nowness that I feel saved. Does that seem fair? Right? That's what I think that's when we talk about it is like, we feel, sometimes we feel far off from the truths that we hold to. And we want God to come make them feel near and now. Right? I, I think when we look at that, it all speaks to this idea of like breaking out of religious constraints and dry ritual. Right? We don't want to go through the motions. We want the real thing. It's almost like a married couple trying to find that spark again. I think it's churches going, we want to find that spark that brought me in in the first place. I often hear that from people. I had my salvation story and this sense of the real nearness of God. And I've held to Him. I've trusted in Him. And He's been faithful. And He's been good. And I believe. But I want to feel that kind of first love again. I don't, I don't think that's all bad. I think that's good. I think those are good desires. I think though, based on what we've looked at so far, I think it really gets to the heart of it, though. Is going, if we want that kind of new wine feeling, we actually have to go back to the most fundamental aspects of the faith. And what ends up getting wonky is when new wine pursuits end up looking like we need to find that feeling outside of what we already know. That's when it really starts to get wonky. It gets off the rails a bit because we start we want to add things or find new things or reimagine them instead of going actually. Like here, here's an, to use that example still. It's like a a couple that wants to find that spark again in their relationship, and so they say, let's go try other partners. As if somehow that's going to reignite the initial original love and covenant. And so that's where I think things can kind of tip into an unhealthy zone. So for us as a church, when we talk about cultivating new wine worship, we want to be really clear about what we're shooting for. And so I think the question then becomes, how? How do we pursue this new wine? Now, the good news in this passage is that Jesus doesn't make it seem as though the new wine is unavailable. Jesus is saying the new wine is present, is here, and is accessible. Does that sound like good news? I think a lot of the new wine pursuits tend to be about how do we get to something we can't have or don't have? How do we see a move of God come that we don't have? Jesus is saying the new wine is available, is here, is present. And the warnings that we see in this text, which we're going to get into today, isn't concerning the difficulty of getting to or waiting for the new wine. Rather, Jesus' warnings are that the wine can be spilled. The new wine can be lost, dropped, and splash out on the pavement. Isn't that an interesting way for him to talk about this? So let's give a brief overview of what the new wine is again, because I want to really get it in us. Now, Jesus describes it this way. He uses three analogies, the wedding feast, the old garments, and the new wineskin. We've covered the wedding feast and the old garments, and so today we're going to talk about the new wineskin. Now, the first thing Jesus says is that the new wine is like a wedding. So the primary pieces of this is that then the new wine is about God being here. God is present Here's another way of thinking about it. The time of separation from God is over. Is that good news? Isn't that compelling? Humanity is no longer trying to get to a God who is distant. God is here. God is present. And God is here specifically for the purpose, to use the analogy that Jesus gives of the wedding, is that God is here for union. Union with us. He is the groom, we are the bride. So salvation then looks like a covenantal union, a marriage. And sp- the spiritual life then of the Christian, of the follower of Jesus, is primarily meant to be a celebratory feast upon the table of grace by faith. So God is here, His salvation is present, and the primary defining feast of the spiritual life of the follower of Jesus should be one of going, what I need is available by grace. And so I eat of it by faith. Does that feel true to most Christianity? Not always. I think what I most often encounter is people going, I know what I believe, but I feel far from it. I don't know how to get to it. I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to live in it. I don't know how to feel full of it. Is that fair? Jesus is saying, though, the Christian life is meant to be about living in that reality. That the feast is happening because God is here. The table is set. The food of grace is available. And y'all, we're eating. So the Sunday gathering is primarily a reunion with Him, Feast upon grace. You in? You following? Okay, so the second piece then is he's describing the new wine is like a patch of new cloth on an old garment. And this is explaining how the new covenant with Jesus, how it relates to the old covenant of the Mosaic law. And it's like an untrunk cloth on an old garment. So though they have some similarities, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, because the Old is a shadow or a silhouette of the New, but the New is the true substance. So the reason the Old Covenant has, it has the shape of Jesus, is what we talked about last week, but not the substance. Jesus brings the true substance. So what this means then is that religion has been proven to fail in its claims to bridge the gap between God and humanity. Think about that for a second. Religion can't get you to God. Jesus brings God to you. You with me? That's the good news of the gospel. That's the new covenant. So Jesus has not come to prop up the old covenant religious system. Jesus has come to bring an end to religion. And with it, he brings an end to religion by bringing us into covenant with him. Union with him. See, religious covenants say if you fulfill your promises, God will fulfill his. Okay, that's, the, that's one of the most consistent parts of the Old Testament. Is God is saying, I'm here to be your God. You're here to be my people. If you follow the law... These are the things, these are the promises I'll give to you. If you fall away from your covenant with me, your commitment to me, what happens? God says, then I'll let you go. I'll give you over to your desires and you can have what you want. But that's not me. So the system then is all about us holding up to the agreement in order to get God. Jesus' better covenant. It says God has fulfilled all of his promises even though you don't. And God is not going to leave you even though you will. That's the fundamental of the new covenant. Here's what that creates. Jesus' better covenant allows for something that religion never allowed for. Honesty, intimacy, and transformation. This is what religion can achieve for you. You don't want to be fully honest because you, you're constantly holding yourself up to the expectations. Go, am I living up to it? Trying hard and not being honest about the fact that you're falling short. Not being honest about the fact that you have conflicting feelings. Not being honest about the fact that you're scared or hurt or in pain. You're just trying to work the system. Does that work for intimacy? No. No. So think about a marriage, right? If we think about a marriage the same way. I'll stay committed to you if you stay committed to me, right? I'll be a good husband if you're a good wife. Pointing at you, Sean, for some reason. Sean's not my wife, right? That's, that's how we, we tend to think about these like marriage contracts is if you, I'll, I'll be a good spouse if you be a good spouse to me, right? What happens in that kind of relationship? When one person starts failing, their shortcomings come out. What does the other person do? Then they go, well, you're falling short, so I'm out. And what happens to that distance? Great, it's more and more distance, right? It's the opposite of intimacy. So that works-based agreement is the opposite of intimacy. It Leads to separation. A covenant is different than just a contract. A covenant says, I'm in and I give my whole self whether you live up to the expectations or not. So what does that do? That creates then the safety in the covenant for the, let's call it the failing spouse, the struggling spouse, to be honest because they're in safety. You're not going to leave me if I tell you how much I'm struggling. You're not going to leave me if I tell you how much I'm hurting. Covenant allows for intimacy. You see it? This isn't a marriage sermon, so I've got to keep moving. But this is essentially the nature of the new covenant. It's God saying, I'm going to cover everything that's needed so you can be fully honest, fully transparent, fully needy, and allow me to fulfill you. Allow me to love you. Allow me to transform you in the ways that you're needing and desire. So, the beauty of it then is that the new wine is about this new covenant where God is fully present, you can be fully honest, and real salvation is worked in you by the very Spirit of God. Isn't that wonderful? So then, this brings us to our third analogy, which is the need for a wineskin. In Jesus' third analogy, he's highlighting a new aspect. I think in the garment analogy, he warns that trying to contain the new wine with religion will result in the religious system being torn further. Jesus will continue to expose its weaknesses and its insufficiencies. That's what that means. If you try and shove Jesus in a religious system, He is going to amplify how religion is failing you. <laughs> because religion is there to point to your need for salvation. So here's the thing. Here's kind of the wild thing. Churches that like are deeply devoted to their religious system and trying to get Jesus, the name of Jesus, to prop it up, are setting themselves up for it to blow up. And the more they use the name of Jesus to prop up their religious system, the more Jesus is going to tear it apart. Because all of it's going to show sin. Sin, sin, sin. This system is not working to control people. This system is not working to change people. This system is not working to fill people up with energy. This system is showing our weaknesses, our failures, our insufficiencies, our meanness because that's what religion does. Isn't that wild? And the more you throw Jesus in the mix, the more Jesus is going to be going, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's show this. Let's come out with this. Because I can save this. Isn't that wild? I love the way Jesus works. Now, in the wineskin analogy, though, Jesus highlights the threat that this poses for the new wine. If you try to contain it in religion, you'll lose both. You'll lose the system, it'll get torn to shreds, and you'll lose the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And that's what happens when a church splits, right? And a church blows up. is the gospel feels like it gets dropped, doesn't it? It doesn't glorify the good news of Jesus, it seems to mar it. So he, that's what Jesus is saying when he says if if it is the skin, if it is the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. In order to have new wine, then here's the point, we need a new wineskin. The wineskin is necessary Jesus is actually making them inseparable, saying you absolutely need it in order to have the new wine. Isn't that interesting? I think that's interesting because a lot of people tend to think if we want new wine, we've got to get rid of any kind of system. Make it the most free-flowing thing in the world. That's kind of what I grew up in. Because, like this idea, right? So we say we don't want religious things, so... And we, that's run by a priest, so everybody's priests, and everybody can do what they want, say what they want, and the gathering, who knows who's going to talk? It's just going to happen. I don't know if you've been in a gathering like that. Does it necessarily mean more new wine? Not, not necessarily. It gets really human-y. <laughs> Very quick. And people stand up saying, you know, thus is the Lord, and then it's like no, he doesn't. <laughs> right? Doesn't, it's not in the scriptures at all. It's not consistent with the way of Jesus. It's not true to the particulars of the gospel. What's interesting, though, is what it drifts into is actually religion. It'll always drift. Anything that's not pure gospel will drift into some kind of religion. That's the truth. Even if it's free... But it's like this, it's ruled with this religious intensity. It's interesting. So what we don't want to do is wrongly assume that in order to have new wine, there's no structure to it. Instead, what Jesus is saying is that you need the right structure. Isn't that helpful? So he's not saying that it's just going to rain new wine forever. Jesus is saying that new wine needs to have the right container poured out into the right container. And for what? What's the reason for it? According to what Jesus says, it's for its preservation. So this new wine has to be contained into something in which it ferments and becomes fully what it's meant to be. And the wineskin's role is to say that the wine is precious, alive. It must be held and given freedom to expand. That's the picture that's given in this analogy. So this kind of brings us, I think, to answering some of the question around what's the role of the tradition of the church, the faith of the church, when it comes to new wine? Are those things diametrically opposed? If we want a new outpouring of God's spirit and his work in the hearts of people, isn't tradition standing in the way of that? You ever wonder that sometimes? And that's why people often come to me and they're like, what do you mean you're Anglican? You wear the collar, you, you do the liturgy, you do those things? And part of why is my conviction here, and I'll show why this is, why I think it's essential for new wine. If we really want a fresh outpouring in the Spirit, we really want the presence of the gospel, we really want transform, like transformative, Jesus focused church life, then we need the right wineskin. That will do it justice. That will do what Jesus says it needs to do, which is preserve it, keep it, so that we have something to serve people. And what we see of the early church is they're filled with this new wine, right? Jesus appoints the 12 apostles to lead in his stead. They're full of the Holy Spirit. But what we see in the life of the church, and we see this in the New Testament Scriptures themselves, is that the church starts to do this work of wanting to preserve the gospel. They want to preserve the truth about Jesus, the power of His salvation, and the summary, understanding to know what is that? What is the Jesus that we give? Because as soon as you start gathering people together, at varying stages in their following Jesus journey. is you're going to get a whole host of different interpretations of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. Right? So what the church has to do is go, what is the authoritative summary of who Jesus is? And our dependence on the Scriptures, how do we make it clear who Jesus is? And so the first thing that we see them do most often is quote the Scriptures constantly. In their worship, they're always using the Scriptures. They're always pulling from the Old Covenant to go, look at what God said about His promises, see how they're fulfilled in Jesus. They're always pulling from that to go, God has spoken, and now God has fulfilled it in the person of Jesus. So hear about in 1 Corinthians 15, you can hear how Paul tries to go, look, this is the main thing about our gathering. This is the highest importance for us. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. So this is how Paul talks about it to go. This is the utmost importance, is that God has fulfilled His promise of salvation in Jesus, who came, died, rose again, and is ascended in accordance with what? The Scriptures. So it's essential for that. So what Paul is doing is saying, this is the wineskin to catch it. This is going to hold us to the Gospel. This is going to keep us on it. This is going to keep our worship focused on what it should be focused on, which is Jesus. And the good news of what He accomplishes. We see another instance in Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 11. What's become historically known as the Christ hymn. What we start to see in the New Testament is the church starts to write songs that are sung by the people that cover the essentials of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and give an opportunity for us to respond to it emotionally. So I want you to hear This is one of the first Christian hymns. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Does it sound like it covers the essentials of the faith? Right? It's all Jesus content, isn't it? Now, here's why I highlight this. Sometimes, see, here's what you're not going to hear from me in this series. I'm not going to bash modern worship songs. Okay? I'm not going to go after them. Because I think there's beauty and goodness in them. But here's what, what, what I want you to understand. Is that sometimes I feel like, our songs are so generally God, about God, that they don't get to the specifics of God and Jesus and his salvation. It's almost like, so we live in an area called Beachcomber. It's not far down the road here. It's a little peninsula that comes out. Here's the thing about Beachcomber I don't want you to tell anyone else. Okay? It has incredible sunsets all summer long. It gives you this unique vantage point where you can see up the island so you get the full sunset. Which is kind of rare on this side of the island, right? So it's a beautiful spot. But here's what I feel like some of our worship songs do. It's like if I was to go down to the beach and sit on the rocks and watch the sunset come, but then I zoom my camera in as close as I can just to the sun, and it's just like white. And then I came and I brought the picture to you and I go this is a picture I got of the sunset. You'd be like, what is that? Sometimes I feel like some of the songs are just like God's love and we love God. And it's just very general and it's nonspecific. What makes a sunset so beautiful is when you zoom out and you get all the layers and how that goodness interacts with all the other objects, right? The goodness behind the clouds behind the mountains, behind the shoreline, the beauty of the sunset all along the water, right? It's all those different layers that we start to see its implications of its beauty. I think that there is gold in getting to the specifics about the gospel in our worship. Right? That the wineskin has to fit the new wine, and the new wine is Jesus Himself and the particular things that He accomplishes for our salvation, right? So, maybe this is a hobby horse for me, but I'm pretty sure historic Christianity as well as the Holy Spirit is going to back me up on this point. I think the most anointed stuff is going to be deeply, explicitly heavy on Jesus and His Savior. Not just general god does that make sense the next i don't have time to go through all this the next thing that we see though in the new testament is the church's formulation of confessions is they want to say the whole gospel every time is they want to confess the whole faith and i think sometimes our modern worship structure is just to go, let's talk about God generally, let's hope we feel something generally, and that we leave kind of feeling good. And We saw people, and it, it's not specific enough. And here's the thing, my life has real hardships, real pain, real sin, real struggles, and I need real salvation, real tools, real specifics of God's intervention to help me. Is that true of you? We need to know... So, songs that are actually like capture the essence of the Incarnation. Songs that actually drive home the point of the saving power of the cross. Songs that are specifically tied to the resurrection and all the goodness and benefit that comes out of that and our hope for the future, I need specifics. Because I need specific intervention and help. And I want to worship God based on the things that He is most passionate about. These are the things that not only save you and me, they save the universe. And we're just going to talk about Him generally when he's done specific saving things, shouldn't that get our attention? And here's the thing. When we sing about those things, guess what happens in us? Real, emotional, specific response. We feel that intervention when we sing about God's salvation. You with me? This is what we want. So in like 1 Timothy, you can imagine the church gathering and saying these words. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. And it's a triumph in the face of human suffering. It's a triumph in the face of personal sin, isn't it? To go, there's something greater, and it has a name. It's Jesus, and He's accomplished specific things, and we're in it, united to it. It's us, it's my story, and I'm worshiping genuinely and authentically. Does it make sense? So here's where I think the vision then, I gotta wrap this up, of new wine worship is in our church. In order for this, that these would be our number one priorities, not just assumed. The first is this. We are here for a reunion with our groom. Yes? This whole service is about our reunion with Christ. Boy, are we excited for that. So when you get up in the morning and you're feeling tired and groggy and sinful and worn down and beaten up by your week, I want you to think, i just got to get to Jesus. Right? And we get here for our reunion with Him. We come in beat up, worn out, broken, sinful, but we're coming to the one we know who will solve all that. Save us from that. Right? So we're here for reunion with Jesus through the Gospel. So we want the specific works of Jesus to be proclaimed here so that we can enjoy the specific benefits of them, right? So the content of our worship, of our songs, should be gospel-rich, scripture-rich, right? And here's one of the conversations I've been having with our worship leaders for quite a while now. It's I keep saying, what are the songs that have lasted the longest? Like, what are the songs that are just so gospel rich that when you sing it, it's not like the most musically amazing experience, but your heart goes, This is my song. You know that feeling? I think that's one of the questions we have to ask about Christian history is to go, What are the songs that have staying power? And here's the other part just because it's old doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> I could be honest with you. Just because it's old doesn't mean I can sing that essay. Because Some some of those songs, I'm like, that is an essay. That's a good essay, great theological content, but I can't sing that for the life of me. And and that's me as a millennial, going like, I I didn't grow up on classical music. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. So I'm not saying we do away with all old, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we want to be able to look at it and go, what is clearly about the gospel? And it's like it hits that spot. It has that staying power. And part of why I say that is because the 70s worship boom, right the Jesus People Movement, all the modern worship movement that came out, it was like a flood of new music. It is beautiful. And it was made for that time. But not all of it has staying power for the future. Because we have the 70s, and then we got the 80s, and we got the 90s, and it's a lot of music, isn't it? There's a thousands, hundreds of thousands of songs to choose from. It doesn't mean they all have that staying power for the future. So I've actually said I feel like sometimes we can be drowning in the 70s and 80s music because there's just so much of it. So what we want, though, is we want to be able to focus it in to go, What has the gospel content worth holding and carrying on to the future? Okay? Now here's the third thing. In the power of the Spirit. What that means is we want to give space and time for the Spirit of God to move in the midst of our worship. Well, we don't want to feel like it's like, okay, you, you got to get through that song and move on. You're allowed to do that verse one time, that course two times, and then you're done. Part of it is we're just making some space here to go sit in it, savor it, and let the Spirit of God work inside you to connect the part of you that needs it with the truth that's being proclaimed. I've had too many people come to me and say, Sorry for crying in church today, Pastor. Don't ever say that to me. Don't ever say that to me. That is the appropriate response. Our communion should be messy. <laughs> like, ugly cry. <laughs> That's not an expectation. I'm just saying, like, this reunion is so beautiful. It should be the place where emotion flows from. So what we're saying in the power of the Spirit is that the Spirit is at work connecting this great glorious Gospel to you in your specific life. That's what's happening in our worship. That's what's happening in communion. Is that the Spirit of God is not only present and available to you, He's applying specific salvation to your specific story. So what's going on inside of you is a beautiful mystery of God bringing the Gospel of Jesus and the Spirit to your spirit. Isn't that beautiful? So we want to value that and give space for that. I'm not saying it's a long, drawn-out time. I'm just saying we're looking for that. And the last is this. Because the new wine and the wineskin is about preservation, it has to be for the sake of future generations. And I've said this for years in in being here, and we've come to these conclusions together and we've wrestled them out. We've said, as a church, we're actually going to prefer the youth when it comes to our worship. We're going to prefer their needs. Here's what I find as I get older. My worship is really happening in the creed. My worship is really happening in the scriptures. My prayers are really happening in the call act. Because when we, re, we pray the collect together, I go, oh, that's the prayer I should be praying. I just didn't know how to pray that. When we do the intercessions, like that's, I think that's where mature Christians find their bread and butter. We don't need to be musically always led because we have the liturgy to do that for us. The music is serving those who are learning how to express that. And I think that's where we have to continue to prioritize our youth. So, what we want then, in order to preserve it, is to make it all about Jesus and our reunion with Him, all about the good news of the Gospel, of His salvation, through His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, in the power of His Spirit in such a way that we're passing it on to future generations. Because what we don't want is to say, we enjoy this, our kids don't. We want to be able to say, our kids come to church feeling like they're coming to a feast, not a funeral. Right? Our kids are coming to feast, not to fast and just get through it. Is this over yet, Dad? That's what we want the whole nature of our church to feel like. Does that seem fair? So here's the thing. When we start to say, let's preserve the new wine, the temptation will always come up to do it religiously. Right? That religious part of us will go, yeah, we got to preserve this new wine and make sure it's together, you are done right. The best way we preserve this wine together is to drink, to enjoy, to be intoxicated on it. Because what are we talking about here? We're talking about the good news of the gospel and creating a culture and an environment of authentic worship, right? Uh, in all my years of being a worship leader, I've done conferences, I've taught conferences, all of it. Nobody talks about the most fundamental aspects of worship. Nobody talks about it. It's just looking for the right music, the right songs, and maybe it will feel good enough. It's not, it's not good enough. We want the real thing. We want real wine. We want real gospel, real presence, real power in the praise of the people. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let's turn our heart to the table. Would you take a?